Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Welcome to ES First. We are glad you're here, whether it's your first time or your 5,000th time. You are welcome here. And here at ES First, we preach through books of the Bible. And right now we're in the book of John. The book of John is, it's a narrative, it's the story of Jesus. It's one of the four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Although the whole Bible tells the story of Jesus, these four just specifically give you kind of eyewitness accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are synoptic Gospels, meaning they tell you the same story from different points of view. Much like showing up to your family Thanksgiving, and somebody says, oh, remember that time, and you go, no, that's not the way it happened, it happened like this. And somebody else goes, yeah, that is the way it happened, but you're seeing two different things. That happened, and that happened, and also this happened. And then you put them all together, and then you get a great story. That's the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell mostly what Jesus did. John, however, was an up-close-and-personal friend of Jesus's. In fact, he was called John the Beloved. Okay, He refers to himself in his own book as the one who Jesus loved. If you can't think of Anything more egotistical than that, that's John. So what John is trying to get across to you is that he was very close to Jesus, he knew Jesus, and he knew who Jesus was and what he was like, not just what he did. And so as we look in the book of John, we're going to see a lot of those things come out in the way he talks, in the way he writes. And what I found out in the last few years is John is one of the most eloquent writers of the entire Bible. He doesn't write without a plan. It's really interesting when you start to study how things are written and handed down and stories and all that stuff. John wrote two of the most interesting intellectually books in the whole entire Bible. Revelation and the book of John. Both of which are not just so intellectually unique and deep, but they are also laid out in such a way that it wasn't just him writing like you and I would write. It's like, oh, and another thing. Oh, and another thing. He laid them out like a road map. And that's incredible to me. So one day I'll talk more about that. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk to you today from John chapter 3. And if you have a paper Bible, you can read it there. If you don't, that's fine. You may have it on your phone. And uh, also we have it on the screens. And that's a good way to just keep in check with all of us. Sometimes I show up to church and I don't have my Bible. Can you believe that? I know some people are like, I don't bring my Bible. It's on the screen. Okay. Which I highly encourage you to get a paper Bible. Because you can't mark on the screen like this. You know what I mean? And one day, maybe you'll die and your kids will want your Bible and there's nothing in it. It's like, I don't know. Maybe we can go to church and check out those screens. Anyway. Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6. And I'm going to preach a little section in the middle of a section that Josh preached last week. If you weren't here for Josh's sermon, sorry, you missed it. And uh, for those of us that were here, wasn't Josh just an incredible order? And uh, anointed man of God. So, like I said, if you missed it, sorry about it. Maybe it'll be on the podcast, maybe it won't. Maybe we'll just reserve it and you'll never hear it ever again. John chapter 3 and verse 6. All right, here we go. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus said to him, You are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of God. It has brought us into close relationship with you, and we don't take that for granted. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place to speak to our hearts. Set us on fire in our souls. That we have a love for you that can't be quenched. And a uniqueness about us that only comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were to take a poll about this one specific word called change, people would give you a variety of answers. But probably if you were to ask people, do you like change? Most people would tell you, no, (laughs) right? You don't like change. Actually, change is pretty frustrating about the time you get used to something and then it changes. Like for instance, there was a time when your cell phone had keys on it. And it was really cool that you had a computer screen and a typewriter right on your cell phone. Along came Steve Jobs with this thing. It was like a thing that played music. And he said, I don't know. I think maybe we could talk to people on this. And people were like, there's no way you can talk to people on that. It doesn't have any keys on it. That's for playing games on, not for talking on. And in one swift move, he released something called the iPhone, which had only one button on it. And the world went crazy. Because they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. Am I going to get this little kitty game phone with no buttons on it? Or am I going to be a civilized adult and use a phone with keys and a typewriter on it? After a while, most of us now have phones that we don't have to type on. We just talk to it. Some of them have them on your wrist. But I guarantee you that if you went back and I gave you an iPhone number one, it wouldn't work very well, would it? Because all along, change has been happening. As a matter of fact, most of us, we actually like change. Did you know that? Did you, did you know that a lot of times when you are frustrated and going through something, the first thing you say is, I need a... But most of you would vote, I don't like change. I need a change. I need a change of scenery. I need to go on a vacation. I need to get out of here. I need a change of pace. I need some things to be different. You look at your spouse and say, I want you to be different. You need to change or I need to change you or change you out. Whichever. Most of us are actually infatuated with change. How do I know this? Because about every four years, we all get together and talk for a year about the changes that are about to come. It's called the presidential election. And then, if you don't like the change, you're very excited about another two years where you get to change things again. And we should all get together, we should all vote, because we want change. We want things to happen, we want things to move forward. And those are all very finite things that change. It's like when you go to the ball game, you start the ball game, it's the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and by the fourth quarter, it is done and you want a change to happen every single play to get you to an expected end. It is the change that you desire. But actually, change is bigger than that. There's finite change and there's infinite change. There's things that have been going on for thousands upon thousands of years. God has been orchestrating his interaction with humankind. He started off with Adam and Eve and they were in the garden and then things 
changed. And he has to figure out how to interact with them. All along, the Bible says that even in the beginning with Adam and Eve, he had an idea for a change. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus was slain for your salvation, your sins, to pay for your sins, even before the foundations of the earth. He's not working with finite change, not every four years, not politicians, not a change of scenery, not a change of spouse, not I wish somebody else would change so my life would go better. God has been working on your life to bring about his interaction with you every step of the way. But that doesn't just happen one event at a time. It doesn't just begin and end like a football game. It isn't change that makes you excited. It's an infinite game that happens in your soul over and over and over again. I love the way Josh put it last week when he said, you must be born again and again and again and again. It's a freshness. It's a newness that happens in your life. It's not just a one-time change. It is an ever changing possibility. So in this story, what we have is this guy named Nicodemus. He's been looking for a Messiah. He's been looking for someone who would come and bring about the change that happens in humanity by God's work in humanity. He's looking for a Messiah who will come and make things different. He's been waiting for years. As a matter of fact, his tribe of people, the Pharisees, have been waiting for thousands of years for God to come and interject change. And so he goes in the middle of the night and says, we know that you're from God. We know that you're doing miracles. We know that you're special. We know that there's something about you. And he starts to ask him questions. And in these questions, Jesus responds to him, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus, his mind is blown. He's like, that seems like a little bit of a drastic change. I don't know that I can crawl back in my mother's womb. I can't just get inside there and be born again. What do you mean? And Jesus says, you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. In other words, that you have to be born by natural birth and you have to be born in another dimension called the spirit. And then he drops these few verses right in there. And he says, look, the spirit's an interesting thing. You can't see it. You can't touch it. Nobody knows where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. It's just this really crazy thing that is ununderstandable. You can see its effects, although you can't see it. And Nicodemus is like, hmm, that's really deep, Jesus. And Jesus drops his line on him. He's like, you know, you're a pretty smart guy. You're in charge of teaching all of Israel about God. How do you not understand this? Because it requires a little bit too much change. It requires a little bit of stuff that I can't quite put my finger on. It requires trusting even what I don't understand. It requires seeing but not seeing. It requires sight and vision but not really being able to tangibly hold on to anything. And Jesus goes, such are people of the Spirit. Such are people of the Spirit. In our lives, when we think about getting saved, we're like, okay, save me, God, forgive me of my sins. And we have all these great songs. 
You might have heard of some of them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? If you haven't heard it, go on an Israel trip. You'll hear it sung all across the nation of Israel. And if you have been there, you'll know. One time I was whistling the song, and Kim Gaines looks at me and goes, Really? You're going to keep whistling that song? And here's the reason why. It's because it's a gathering card. So like if you're there with 40 people and you start, Amazing grace, how sweet. Everybody goes, How sweet the sound. And they all come running. And then you go to another place and some, you know, a Jesuit priest is walking through and he goes, Amazing grace. And that also cues everybody to shut up about your talking because we're going to talk about something more important than what you're doing. It's crazy. But Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound is a song of you are saved and you're changed. And then you get to just live and you get to go to heaven. Isn't that a blessed, glorious event? Well, yes, it is. We could all point back and we ask questions. Matter of fact, Pastor Ray is here. He's one of my dear friends. He's our superintendent over the Assemblies of God in this district. And he took me on a trip to Africa. And we went Africa and preached and all that stuff. And when I went in to get my credentials, one of the first things they ask is, when were you saved? And I was like, I don't know. But I wrote on there, I was like, well, it would have been June 86, which I don't know. I know it's around 86. And then the next time I submitted the form, I wrote on there 87. Because I know it was when I was six, in which I turned six in 87 or somewhere in there. Somebody writes back to me, email, dear Brandon. You got saved in two different times. There's a discrepancy in your file. I'm like, I don't give a rip. Just ask Nancy Joe. I made up the date anyway. But I do know the time. I just don't know the date. And many of us point back to a date when we're changed. And that's it. I was saved in 1978. I was saved 2015. I came back to Christ in this year. But that's not necessarily the life that God has desired for you. Just like your parents who gave birth to you don't desire to give birth to you and leave you on a sidewalk. Or they shouldn't. As a matter of fact, we think that that is a terrible atrocity that someone would be left given birth to. How could they not care for their baby? How could they not nurture them? Don't they want to see them grow up and graduate? Don't they want to see them become all that they can be? Because oftentimes we think in our humanity that we're better than God. God gives birth to you in a moment, and then his process is to nurture you and to grow you into everything that he has always dreamed you to be. The Bible says that he knits you together in your mother's womb. That before that you were even given birth to, that he knew you and had a plan and design for you. And the Bible says that he saved you so that you could do the good things that he planned for you way in advance. And so it is ignorant for us as people to go, you know what, I'm changed, I'm born again, and to not figure out why or how God will work with us and grow us into becoming all that he wants us to be by nurturing us with his spirit. And so Jesus says, he says, the wind comes and it goes, and nobody knows where it comes from, Nobody knows where it's going. But then he says, such are people of the Spirit. Who are people of the Spirit? People who have been born again and again and again. 
Here's the interesting thing about Nicodemus is that Nicodemus was righteous. Josh pointed this out to us. Nicodemus was actually a good guy. He gave his life to serving God. As a matter of fact, people wanted to get to know God. They came to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? What do you think God would think? How do I obey God and serve God? What is the best way for me to give my life to God? Nicodemus was very connected to God, but he was missing the change that God was going to do in this new season. That God's desire is the Spirit of God would then come and interact with humanity so that you could be born again and again and again. The Bible calls it sanctification. It's a process by which the Spirit is moving inside of us and growing. And most of us will miss this. Most of humanity will miss this if they are focused too much on their needs and not their relationship. As a matter of fact, if you talk to some people about their relationship with God, they say, yeah, I tried that Christianity thing, and my life didn't get better. God didn't do the things that I asked him to do. It was as if that he gave birth to me and left me for dead on the curb, is really what they're saying. But a relationship is two ways. It takes interaction. So when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, he says the Spirit goes to all these different places. It comes from here, it goes to there. Nobody knows where it comes from. You can't see it, you can't touch it. It's just this wonderful thing, but yet it's always there. You can't see it, but you can experience it effects. And the key verse that he wants you and I to get a hold of is, such are people who belong to the Spirit of God. That God, his infinite game, is that he would interact with you, with the Spirit of God. That he would grow you, he would discipline you, he would guide you. He would make you into everything that he designed. Not because you knew all the rules and all of the right information like Nicodemus. Not because you were just righteous, but because you were a person who was connected to the Spirit of God. And if you are living a life where you feel forgotten, left on a doorstep, born but not raised by God, it's not God's fault. It's yours. God wants to interact with you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to nurture you. He wants to heal the broken places of your life. He wants to bring you to fullness. That is his desire. And if you settle for everything else, if you just settle for church and you settle for communion and you settle for sacrifice and you settle for the right song and you settle for the right celebration and Christmas and you better keep Christmas in Christ, trust me, they kept God in Passover. They kept God in tabernacles. You can keep Jesus in Easter all you want and miss him every single day of the year. You have to be a person who becomes a person of the Spirit. And you're like, Brandon, this, is, this seems way more you than me. You know, This seems all whimsical and artsy and stuff. What are you going to do? Like, Sing a song and do a dance and follow the Spirit? I don't know. i got to go to work tomorrow. You can be here hanging out. It's fine. It's like, no. There's something powerful about the wind. Men have tried to harness it. 
for eons. The Wright brothers figured out how to go against it and push something into the air. People have tried to figure out how to harness it and make energy out of it. That you can take a windmill and then process it into something that gives you life. The wind is not something whimsical. It's something firm and concrete. It's something that is guaranteed to come and to go. It is the same thing that people have set sail to and discovered new lands. Gone into battle with ships that have been powered by the wind. The wind is an amazing thing. It's not whimsical. You may not see it. You may not completely understand it. But it is something that is so incredible that some will and some won't live by it. If you were in a boat a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, it's the same wind. Nothing's changed. It's just what are you going to do with it? In my opinion, everyone is given a boat. Right? You hear people say during coronavirus, we're all in the same boat. We're not. We're not in the same boat. Right? We're not because it's July 2020 and my boat is sitting right here at the dock. Right? I went to my neighbor's boat. It was full of booze and they were having a party. My boat was filled with kids' toys and clothes all over. Everyone's in a different boat. Your life is a different boat than the others. And many of us are sitting in the harbor, docked with our boat, thinking, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you come and and stir something? Why can't can't I be like them out there? Why can't I, I do something great for you? And you look at the great people across all of history that have done something great for God, like Moses and Elijah. You look like people like John the Baptist, and you look at people like Peter and Paul. You look at people like Billy Graham and Oral Roberts, and you look at all of these people who have done great things for God. And it seems like, why is there a ship out there? God, if you would just come and do that for me, wouldn't that be wonderful? And Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Nicodemus. He is saying, the wind comes and the wind goes. Nobody knows where it comes from. Nobody knows where it's going. But such are people of the Spirit. And if you're sitting in the harbor at the dock, in your boat of life, and you're trying to figure out how to get out there, it's in the wind. It's in the spirit of God. You're trying to figure out how to get your marriage back together. It's in the spirit of God. You're trying to figure out what to do with your finances. It's in the spirit of God. You're trying to figure out your purpose. How to raise your kids. It's in the spirit of God. You're trying to figure out how to love your neighbor. You're trying to figure out how not to be bitter. You're trying to figure out how to have healing in your mind. You're trying to figure out all of these things. You're sitting in the harbor. God, do something. And he's going. And all it takes is you. To just set the sail. Ah, there it is. That's the wind I'm looking for. Oh, the wind has changed. Ah, 
There it is. It's the power by which your life can be changed the way you would love it to be. And so most of us are wishing for a better wind. Right? God, would you just come and blow on us? Would you just come and do something different? And God is saying, no, I just need you to set a better sail. Wrap that up, honey. Put it away. Nothing's happening. No. Set a better sail. With the right sail, you can go fast. You can choose the joyride. You can choose to just get out of the harbor, but you can choose to fight and battle. I love the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I slept through all of them one time because they're so long. But I love when they start fighting, right? And I'm thinking in my mind, how can they fight? Well, you know how they can fight? Because it's make-believe, okay? It's make-believe. But I love to hear like, man, this ship is fast and it can go. We're going to catch up with them. We're going to pull up beside them. And we're just going to fire these huge cannonballs into their ship. And and holes are in their ship. And all of that battle, all of that fighting, all of that really cool stuff that you think is so invigorating and, and wonderful is powered by the wind. It's by people who figured out how to set the sail. People who figured out how to set the sail. But we don't handle change so good and the wind is always changing. I just don't want, I'm just over it. I just can't. You know, this, this season, this time, their boat's clear out there. I'm stuck in a storm. Their boat's out there. I don't know how to get out of this Space. I'm stuck here in this harbor of life. Maybe I'll just invite some people over. Get to make friends with my neighbors and their boat. Maybe they'll have something that can take away this apathy. I don't want to change, but life is moving and changing. You have to be a person who embraces change to be a person of the Spirit. And I don't mean change your spouse, just so you know. Okay. Where was I? Oh, change. Okay. The change you're looking for is in finding the sale. So this word change actually means transition. 2014, I was getting ready to go to Los Angeles. I hadn't been there for a few years. I had been, I led one team. I was taking another team in 2014 to the Dream Center. And I had a heart for Los Angeles. I love Los Angeles. As you know, I go there a lot. And before I was getting ready to head there, another pastor friend of mine, he's like, man, I was praying for you. And this word from the Lord from you, God just told me to tell you transition. And I'm getting ready to Los Angeles. I work for my dad. Love to work for my dad. Had been in youth ministry. Things were changing and transitioning. And I was going to Bible college and, and resigned from youth ministry. So I gave it to my brother and he started off with new school of, of youth ministry, and I, I started doing something else, and I was pursuing education and all of these things, so I go to LA, and the whole time I'm thinking, transition, 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 what does this mean, God, what do you want me to do, and I came back, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to move to Los Angeles and start a church there, 
Doesn't that sound awesome? No, it sounds like hard work, okay? It's like you, we're talking about winning over the people that so many people are angry about in Hollywood. I mean, it's pretty intense in Los Angeles. And so I was like, maybe this is a thing. And I, back then I was married. My wife was like, I'm down. If you want to do it, we'll do it. We just need to get going because the, the kids need to be in school. It was like a quick turn and, and all these things. It's like, what am I going to do? And, and I'm like, well, God, I need to hear from you. So I start classes in the fall. And my first class from my Bible college is Church Planning 101. Can you believe this? Wow, this might be a sign from God. In which case, the project for that class at the end of eight weeks was to submit a business plan for a city, a church, a leadership structure, a name for your church. You were supposed to call the city where you were going to plant your church, talk to representatives, talk to other pastors in the area, talk to the mayor, whoever you needed to talk to, and design this plan. And I was like full of faith. I was just like, you know what? There's no way that I'm going to do this project about Los Angeles. I'll do it about San Diego. And uh, so I had a great plan to build a church in San Diego because L.A. was too close to what I was feeling. That fall, a certain pastor called me. I said, hey, bro, can we get lunch? So yeah. He happened to be a pastor that I was doing youth ministry with. He was also in Kansas City. And he moved to Los Angeles and was part of a church there of 10,000 people and had moved back. And I thought, hmm, God, hmm, this is interesting. And I said, God, if you could talk to me, give me a message through this guy. So I had lunch, I started talking about my heart, and we were just talking about life, and two hours later, this is how intense the conversation was. I was like, I gotta go pick up my daughter from school. Are you gonna be here? So I went and picked up my daughter from school, dropped her back off at home, and then went back to lunch to talk to him some more. And I said, I just kind of feel like maybe I'm supposed to move to Los Angeles and plant a church there. And I had this word transition, and it's it's just a fire inside my heart. And I just have a passion for this type of ministry. And, and he goes, bro. He goes, I haven't prayed about this. I haven't fasted. It's not like I've come out of the prayer closet with God's like, got a word for Brandon. He's like, but I don't think that you are supposed to go to Los Angeles. He said, I think you're the next pastor of ES first. Now, mind you, this is a 2014 it was a while ago. I was like, yeah. He said, maybe it's something you plan at church. Maybe there's an ES First campus in Los Angeles. Like, that sounds stupid. How could that ever happen? Since COVID, we found out that church can be all sorts of places you never thought it should be. I said, like, okay. And he prayed. He's like, I'll pray, be praying for you and whatever else. And he started talking about my dad. He's like, your dad, great general of the faith. That's what we started calling him, general. I just kind of put it in my back pocket. Okay, God, transition. I got church planning 101. I got a great plan to build a church in Southern California. I even talked to a pastor, Frank Wooden, who's in charge of church planning in Southern California. He takes guys like me and puts us in Southern California to build a church. It was that spring 2015 that it was during our district council, which is when all of us pastors in the Northern Missouri District come together 
and we have a time of refreshing and then license other ministers and all that stuff. It was, it was a three day event. And on Tuesday, the last night I was like, there was a guy speaking from Southern California at a small church and he was talking about building small churches and how valuable that is because everybody thinks you need a big church, but the power is in people who are in a small church and it's a valid thing. So, so, okay, God, this guy's from Southern California. He's talking about building churches. He's talking about small church. I found a lot of value in what he had to say. Tonight's the night. You're going to tell me something. Whatever you say is what goes. I'll never think about it. I'll never talk it over with you. I'll never flip the script. I'll never entertain another thought about it. But you'll tell me exactly tonight. And he preached and he started talking and oh, you know, he's a funny guy and he's like six, five and lanky and I was like, you know, kind of like me. And he was doing his thing and he's talking and I don't remember what he really preached on. But I remember this one sentence that he said. He said, you know, the funny thing is, is like transition does not mean relocation. And he kept talking. I have no idea what he said. But I know he said one thing for me. From the throne room of God. And so many of us are trying to change everything else. That our idea of change is new scenery. In a new environment. And you're looking at me. You're like, Pastor Brandon takes 19 vacations a year. How does he do that? And he's always on a beach somewhere. I have people that visit my Instagram. And they think that I live in a different place than I live. Like, oh, you live in Los Angeles now? You live in Florida now? I can't figure you out. It's nice to live in Kansas City. But I'll be all over the world. Why do you do that, Brendan? I've just learned to set a better sail. Because change doesn't mean that I need to change you. I need to change spouses. I need to change my kids. I need to change jobs. What change actually means is transition. And transition does not mean relocation. It means transformation. It means being born again. And again. And again. And again. And such are people of the Spirit. Who when the wind blows and you don't know, but you can see its effects. Why is that guy clear out there? Well, he's got the wind. Why is there electricity in our houses? Well, they got these big windmills. Why is it? Why is it? Why is it? It's because of the wind. And if you and I can be people of the Spirit who are catching the wind everywhere it goes, I know it seems like it might create a little disruption, but it's the way that I'm designed to be. It's the way that God has chosen to interact with me. It's the way that God has designed his life so that he just doesn't come and go as he pleases. He is actually here and he's blowing on your life. And if you can catch the wind, you will be changed. You will be transformed. You will be something different. But, yeah, it's going to require a little pliability. It's going to require a little bit of Yes, Lord. It's going to require a little bit of listening. It's going to require a little bit of... For those of you that don't know, that's something that's so incredibly powerful. But you never had a parent that would do that to you. Like, most of you send your kids to kids' church, okay? When I was a kid, we didn't have kids' church. 
I was the first children's pastor of our church. It was my mother not sitting next to her child. She was up on the stage. Could you imagine trying to parent your child from 20 feet away during the most solemn time of the week? You're down there, you know, yakking at everybody. Hey, what's up? I'm down here by myself. (laughs) I get to do whatever I want. My parents are both on stage. But about the time you started to do something that you thought was a good idea, they would look at you. You know, for some of you parents, we're so new agey, right? No, don't do that. That is making me feel discomfort. Don't do that. You know. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, but are you anxious there on the front row when I'm all the way up here? Let me come down there. No, there was none of that. There was no like, I'm sorry. How do you feel? Are you feeling abandoned on the front row? There was none of that. It was this. And that didn't mean, hey, cool it if you want to. That meant, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to blankety blank, 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 blank you all over the blankety blank, blank when we get home. Those were all holy words, by the way. They weren't like cuss words. They were like this. I'm going to gloriously give you discipline that the Son of God hath reigneth down on me to give to you because spare the rod and spoil the child and you will not be spoiled in my house. That's what they meant. Sometimes God does that to you. And you can't catch the wind because you won't pay attention to his subtle moving. You won't pay attention to his leading. He's burning things in your soul that you know that need to change. And you're like, that's fine. I'm saved. I've been born again. And he's like, yeah, but you're sitting on the curb. Not by my choice, but your choice. You're sitting in the harbor trying to figure out life. Not by my choice, but your choice. You're looking out there thinking of all the things that could be done. I've given you a dream for your life, but you won't catch the wind. You're living in the past. You're living in a place where you don't want to change. You're not pliable. You don't want transformation. As a matter of fact, you don't want change. But guess what? Everything is changing. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. People ask me things all the time. Like, well, since my dad died, they ask me, well, how has it been? Your dad's died. Oh, such tragedy, you know, that's, it was shocking. He was such, such, such good health and he was here and he was gone. And, and you know, it's going to, oh, so greatly missed. And I mean, all of that stuff that people say about loss and grief and mourning. And my first, my first response is just what I feel in my heart. How long do you get your dad? How long do you get your dad? Yeah, I'm sad from time to time. Yeah, I have to like figure out life in a different way. Yeah, I want to text him and call him. Just yesterday morning about noon, I was like, I text my mom exactly what I would text my dad. I just, hey dad, you're not going to believe this. That's sad. But how long do you get your dad? I had him 80 years. 79 actually. What more could you want? I can embrace change because my dad taught me how to embrace change. 
I can embrace what the Spirit is doing because He taught me how to hear from the Spirit. I can follow something that I cannot see, but I can see its effects because my dad taught me. And I don't have to have him here to keep living the God kind of life that God desired for me to live. That my dad was responsible for me to move forward into. And whatever you're stuck in, trying to figure out, trying to embrace. I wish things were different. I don't know how to do this. It's so different. So what? You're in a boat. Catch the wind. But I don't know how. It's fine. It's going to take some trial and error. Remember when you first learned how to make a steak? Took some trial and error. Remember your first salsa that you jarred and you gave to everybody and they said, this is terrible. Remember the first thing you put together on your job and it said, yeah, in a couple of years, it'll be like second nature. You've got to learn how to try and fail. You've got to learn how to get on the wrong path to set your compass a little bit too far off and go, oh, we're going the wrong way and bring it back around. It's going to take some trial and error. But such are people of the Spirit. You know Peter got it wrong? You know some things that Paul got wrong? You know some things that, well, not John. He was perfect and the fastest. There's some things that David got wrong. There's some things that Elijah got wrong. There's some things that that Moses and Joshua got wrong. But they were people of the Spirit. They're our heroes because they were willing to try. And so I pledge to you today, I I come to you and say, would you make a commitment to be a person of the Spirit? That your house would be a house of the Spirit. That your family would be people who follow after the Spirit. That the anointing of God would reign on you and the blessing of God, the baptism of the Spirit would fall on you and it would be power for your life. And you would sail to the far ends of the earth. And people go, I just don't get it. How are you so together? And you're like, I just learned to set a better sail. Could that be you? It could have been Nicodemus. He had everything else in place. But Jesus said, how is it that you're in charge of teaching all of these people? And you can't get this. It is what I would call the first base of faith. Spirit of God, reign on me. Move in me. Refresh me. Give me guidance. Give me wisdom. The knowledge that I need. Give me miraculous signs, wonders, miracles everywhere I go. Because I don't just need something from you. I need to be connected to you. That's people of the Spirit. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? If you're standing next to somebody you love that is a part of your family, squeeze their hand. If you just love them with the love of the Lord, don't hold their hand yet. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. 
Christmas time we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. And you can be welcomed into a certain house, you know the feeling, and not be received. Right? Right? You can walk in and, oh, you're welcome here, but you're not received. And so what I want for you is to receive the Spirit of God into your life. Into your life. You can say, God, you're welcome. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. And not really receive Him. Receive means that I transform my thinking and my actions to be a person who steers my heart and life with the Spirit of God. Just begin to pray where you are. Just God, I receive you. I receive you. Just begin to have a conversation with God. It's not complicated. Father, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That it's a good gift and you desire to give it to us, to rain down on us with your Spirit, to fill our lives, to blow in, to blow out. That we could follow you. Jesus, we love you. If you feel a burning in your heart to interact with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you down to this space in the altar. It's just a sign of saying, God, I'm setting my sail on you. I'm setting my, and maybe you're kneeling, maybe you're standing, but just at about the count of three, I want you to come and find a place to move forward from the place you are to the place where God wants you to be. Yes, I'm setting sail with you, Jesus. In three It's just a simple movement, but it means the world to your soul. And two, is today the new day for you where you begin to see things differently. You embrace a change every single moment. God, I'll follow you with everything. And one, would you come and find a place? Step out from where you are. Just step out as a sign to God. Yes, I'm setting sail with you. I'm setting sail with you. I'm moving forward with you. I'm setting sail, Jesus. The harbor's not good enough for me. I need your presence. I need that fresh wind, that fresh fire in my life. I need a newness that comes every single day. And I'll be pliable. I'll be accessible. I'll move with you, Jesus. Jesus.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are greater than what we ever thought imaginable, that we serve a great God. It's bigger, stronger, more powerful. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus. And so we go from this place in power and authority with your grace and your mercy on our lips. With the power of heaven in us, Lord, refresh us by your spirit. Help us to steer in new ways. Baptize us. In our car, in our home, in our bed, at work. Fresh, fresh, God, pour out your spirit on your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give a hug to somebody next to you. Tell me, love them.